Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Uh, it was a beautiful day today here in northern Ontario. It was 28 degrees and sunny. Uh, not quite like being in Florida, but uh, for us, that was a great day. And we're thankful for that. But we certainly miss seeing you all and being uh, with you. The Lord willing, picture will be different. We're going to look at the book of James, I think, to you. And the outline is designed so that if you want to do more work, there are questions, there are thoughts or ideas, there's rooms for notes, just so that we could go a little more in depth, perhaps, through the book of, of James. Uh, James, the epistle, is not a, we might say, a gospel message. I don't know, as I've read through it, if you could preach the gospel from the little epistle of James. It's for believers, and it's for Christian life and our walk and ministry. And uh, as it's as you see in the, the outline, it really is about maturity about being mature. And when you think through the New Testament, and perhaps your mind can wander from, from various passages and think about uh, the thought of maturity, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 addresses those believers as being carnal. And he said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. And their carnality and, and lack of maturity was seen in that they were looking to men. They were followers of men, and they were in cliques and parties. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, the writer addresses those believers as being on say, we're still babes. So the solid food belongs to those who, by reason of use of their senses, exercise to discern good and evil. And so, and then in chapter six, he says, we've got to go on from the beginning uh, principles and make some progress. And so there's this idea of going on to maturity. Paul in First uh, Corinthians 13 talks about when he was a child, he played with childish things. But now that he became a man, he put away uh, those, those things. In John in his epistle in chapter two addresses three categories. He addresses children young men who are making progress, but then he addresses fathers. And what he says about fathers is, I write to you fathers because you've known him who's from the beginning. And so they've grown in their appreciation and awareness of the person of God. Uh, Ephesians chapter four, and Paul talks about gifts in the church and the purpose for gifts. He says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man. And then he says later in that verse, not tossed about, uh, no longer children, tossed about by every wave and doctrine, uh, wave and the, every doctrine that comes along. And so there's this idea of going on to maturity. And that's what James is presenting. What does a mature Christian look like or act like? How do they talk? How do they behave? What are their attitudes? What are their actions? And so maturity is an important thing. 
Uh, when we come to Christ, we all come as babes in Christ. Uh, though we are sons of God, we have all the rights and privileges of sonship. We all start at the same level, uh, babes in Christ. And the thought is that we are to grow uh, into Christ-likeness, grow into maturity as we get to know him. Uh, somebody's wife probably coined this phrase that for men, growing old is mandatory. Uh, maturing is optional. Um, you know, you've probably heard the older the boy, the bigger the toy. And in the Christian life, uh, that shouldn't be true. As we go on, uh, we should certainly become more mature spiritually. And so in chapter one, as you see by your outline, is what God uses to make us mature. And then the rest of the book is what marks maturity. How do you know if somebody is really uh, mature? As parents, of course, that's our goal and aim as we raise children. We want them to uh, mature. And so we give them tasks and uh, assignments, and responsibilities that are age appropriate. And ultimately, we uh, trust that they will mature to the point where they leave home and can function in society. Well, that's what the Lord wants for us. He wants our life. And he allows things into our life, suffering, and he gives us the scriptures to make us mature. And then he says, here's what that maturity looks like. Now, for those of you who are familiar with James, you'll recognize that it's, it's in many ways a, a choppy book. It's been compared to the book of Proverbs, where James, James addresses a number of issues, and it almost looks like there's little flow uh, in between them. But if you sort of follow the outline, you'll see that there is a, a flow and a connection, but it is uh, chopped up. Now, so you'll notice, for instance, even in this first chapter, he talks in verse 2 about trials, then he talks in verse 5 about wisdom, then he talks about, in verse 9, about uh, the lowly brother and the, the rich uh, brother. And then in verse 12, he talks about the man who endures uh, testing. And so he almost seems like uh, every time he puts his pen down, he thinks of something and uh, writes that thought and then picks up the pen and writes another thought and then another thought and so on. But there is a flow to it. Uh, in many ways, uh, the book of James is like the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and a lot of allusions to the Sermon on the Mount in terms of content as well. And so the Sermon on the Mount is not given by the Lord to tell us how to get to heaven, but it's designed as teaching for those who are going to heaven, those who are on their way to heaven. So that's what James is all about. Not how to get there, but how we should live as we're on the way. And of course, there is uh, somebody's referred to it as Christianity in shoe leather. This is how it's, it's worked out. Uh, perhaps the title of a book, How Then Shall We Live? I would apply uh, to James. Now, Martin Luther had some trouble early on with James after he studied Romans and recognized, well, the just shall live by faith. And then he came to James and found out that without works, faith is dead. Uh, his expression initially was James was a right straw epistle. That is, 
nothing of substance in it. He apparently changed his view as time went on. But it does stand in contrast, though it is really complementary uh, to the other uh, epistles, the New Testament. Now, in chapter one, as we mentioned, it's God's work in us. We're reminded of uh, Philippians chapter two. It's God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So chapters two to five is the uh, the outworking. We have a similar thought perhaps in Ephesians 4 verse 1. The first three chapters, uh, Paul lists all that God has done for us. The only thing we do is listed really in chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. We heard, we believed, we trusted. Everything else is God's work in us. But then in chapter 4 verse 1, he says, now you walk worthy of the calling uh, wherewith you've been called. And he gives some practical then implications of that life. And so that's what James gives us, the outworking of our salvation. So uh, tonight, if we think about these first, uh, say, the first 12 verses, we may not get through them all. But uh, he starts by talking about suffering. Now, let me just say, too, about verse 1 before we get into that. Uh, James doesn't give us an indication of who he is. Tradition and the early church fathers believe that this was the brother of the Lord Jesus. He was one of the pillars of the assembly thus in, uh, in Jerusalem. But he identifies himself as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think of how he could have presented himself. Here is uh, true humility. The word bondservant uh, used in the New Testament refers to one who, by voluntary choice, has taken that role, has chosen to be a servant, a bond servant, to put themselves under the yoke of and to serve. And he writes to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. So as when the leader is an elder in the church in Jerusalem, he has a care and a concern for these people. What happened was due to persecution, they were spread abroad across the Roman Empire. And as they went, they spread the gospel. But James is concerned about their testimony as well, how they, how they lived uh, their life. So verses 2 to 12, let's read uh, those verses and then we'll have some comments on it. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed in. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of these. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because of the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers with the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty, a beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures 
interpretation of their trials. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So here he's talking about uh, the trials of love, suffering in life, the reality of it. Now, just before we sort of work through these verses, I want to just think about suffering and trials in life. You know, in life, there's those things that are common to all. That is, we live long enough, we'll all experience some trials uh, in one type or another. Uh, this pandemic is common to all. Uh, people all through the, across the world are uh, suffering in some way because of what's going on. So there's that which is, is common. There is that which is circumstantial. Uh, there are circumstances that some people face that others do not. Some countries uh, where Christians live, uh, the circumstances due to no choice of their own are adverse. Uh, perhaps health or genetic issues, uh, the way uh, the, the gene pool came to you may uh, cause some, some issues, not because of any uh, thing that's abnormal, it's just the circumstances of, of life. Could be economics, it could be many things where uh, the circumstances just bring difficulties. Sometimes these are consequences. That is, uh, we uh, reap what we sow. We make choices. Uh, in prison ministry often sent a little card to prisoners that said, says we're free to make choices, but we're not free to choose the consequences. And we all know that in terms of, of health and diet and exercise and uh, use of money and time and all those things. Uh, there can be consequences for what we do or for what we don't do. And so sometimes people suffer because they made uh, poor uh, choices in life. But scripture says that trials could come or difficulties or suffering because of correction. They made, and he said, some of you uh, sleep and so there were difficulties because of uh, life choices that they made. And God stepped in and gave correction. But I think what James has in mind here is conformity. That is, the Lord allows things into our life for a purpose. And that purpose is he wants to produce something in us. He wants to make us more like uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. A second here, you keep disappearing. And so this is about conformity to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we see in a glass darkly, but uh, as we behold uh, the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are changed from one degree of glory to another. And so God wants to do that in his life, in our life. And when you think through the New Testament, there are various means that God uses to bring us on to maturity. In Ephesians 4, we thought of the use of gifts until we all come to the uh, Christ-likeness. That's the purpose of church life. First uh, Peter chapter 2, it's through the word of God that we make progress or grow in our salvation. In Hebrews 13, Paul prays for other believers that they would 
grow and go on to perfection, to maturity. Here in James 1, it's the trials of life. In Colossians 3 and other passages, it's just people that come into our life. Perhaps it's a local assembly. Perhaps it's marriage. But God uses those things to reveal what we are and to change us. So here, in light of that, uh, James tells these people to count it all joy when they fall into various trials. And the word count here has the idea of, of reckoned to, to, as an accountant perhaps would look at it and say, move this to the asset side of the balance sheet. This is something positive. And so he says, look at this as a positive thing. In fact, he says, count it all joy. Now, the trial itself may not have joy in it. We think of dear brother uh, in Eustace who lost his wife and left with these small children. There's no joy, and no joy at all in that situation. But the, the thought of biblical joy is what's in our heart. It's not the circumstances, but it's our response to the circumstances. The joy in knowing that the Lord is at work. Uh, the Lord Jesus has given us his joy. It's available, it's accessible, but it's up to us to apply it, to appropriate it. And so we're to rejoice in the Lord always. Or First Thessalonians 5, we're to rejoice uh, evermore, rejoice in, in every type of circumstance, and to be thankful in every circumstance. And so that's what James tells these believers, to just consider it a, a matter of joy that God is at is at work and what's he doing he says when you fall into various trials now the word fall is interesting because it's not something you plan god through scripture never asks uh, his people individually or nationally is this a good time to experience something uh, job had no idea uh, the trials that were going to befall him uh, daniel had no idea the trials that were going to befall him, Joseph, none of them had any advance warning. You fall into various trials. He contrasts that later on with temptation. You're drawn into temptation. The trials are something you fall into. Uh, the Lord doesn't say, let's check your day timer and figure out what's a good time uh, for a health issue. What's a good time for economic problems? What's a good time for family issues? You you fall into these types of trials. And so even though we fall into them, we should count it as joy. As I said, the circumstance may not bring joy in itself, but the joy is in knowing the Lord is at work, that all things work together for good. Uh, the start of that verse in Romans 8.28 says, we know uh, Warren Wiersbe has an illustration of being in a hospital and visiting a man who, and he quoted uh, Romans 8, 28, and the man said, I don't see what good will come from this situation. Wiersbe's response was, it doesn't say we see, it says we know. It's a response of faith. And so God allows trials into our life for a purpose. And here he says in verse 3, it's the testing of your faith that pr produces perseverance. The trial of your faith. So we believe in God. We've accepted Christ as our Savior. We're to live by faith. But the Lord allows things into our life 
in the trial of our faith. Uh, Peter addresses a similar thing in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, the trial of your faith is much more precious than gold, though be tried by fire, that might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the trial of your faith is something precious. And the Lord allows that. In Romans chapter 5, there's a thought that's a, a little different. Uh, the thought there is we rejoice in tribulation. Why? Because, again, it's producing something. And in that list there, one of the things that's produced is approved character. In our translation, it just says character, but the idea is approved character. And so the trial produces an approved character, uh, of course, depending how we respond to it. And so the testing of our faith proves the reality of our faith. When you think of Mark 4, you think of those disciples on the Sea of Galilee in that storm. If you had asked them before the storm, before they got in the boat, about the uh, level or depth of their faith, they would all have asserted that they had great faith in the Lord Jesus. He could do anything. But in the storm, uh, they cried out, do you not care that we perish? And at the end of that, his rebuke to them, oh, you have little faith. What was revealed through the trial was uh, the extent or the, the depth of their faith. And so the Lord allows trials into our life to test our faith. And the testing of our faith, he says, produces patience. Now, usually when we think of patience, uh, in our modern usage of the word, it's the idea of of long-suffering, of uh, putting up with people, of not responding. But here the idea, and the margin has perseverance or endurance. The idea is, and this is found in Romans 5 as well, that it takes time to produce maturity. And all of us can think of people in our Christian life and experience who have gone through trials and who have come out on the other side angry and bitter uh, some who have left uh, the things of the Lord, have gone back into the world. But we also know others who have come through the trials and have persevered and have recognized that uh, God is at work uh, in our lives and in their lives. And they come out not bitter, but better as a result and give testimony of the fact that God has done some great things. And the, the idea here is that maturity takes time if you want to grow something if you want to grow an oak tree it takes years and years and years the roots have to go deep uh, but uh, that's the thought here is that what god is doing uh, really is uh, the process of time and we need perseverance we need endurance knowing that he's at work and what's the purpose then what's the outcome that patience or endurance have its perfect work, you may be perfect. Uh, this word perfect in the margin is mature. And again, that's uh, through the New Testament. We're to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. We are to go on to maturity, to grow in our Christian life, uh, to grow into Christ-likeness. Paul's desire in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him, growing in the likeness of Christ. He goes on to say, I might lay hold of that which I've been laid hold of, or the reason that Christ laid hold of me. And so maturity is 
what God wants, may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, let me just say too that what the Lord uh, does in our life is not dependent in any way on our social status, on our intellectual ability, on our location, on anything in terms of privilege. Anyone can grow in Christ-likeness as they read the scriptures and as they submit uh, in obedience and as they allow the Lord to work in their lives for this purpose. And so God wants to make us complete. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 talks of the study of God's word and what it does in us that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. That's God's purpose for us. That's the thought again in Ephesians chapter 4, the gifts that are given uh, to the church. And so uh, here is what God wants, that he would allow trials into our life to bring about maturity. Now, all of us perhaps face different trials. Uh, you may never face the things that we've faced in our life, uh, but God wants to work with this goal of maturity. The so that brings us to verse 5 and down to verse 8. And as we said, it, it almost looks like uh, James is, is jumping to a different topic that he talks about wisdom. But we've got to remember context here. And so there is a flow. Now, it's true that wisdom comes from God. And James comes back to this topic at the end of chapter 3. We'll talk about that wisdom that's from above as opposed to uh, the wisdom of this world. Uh, we know in Scripture, Proverbs 9, that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, Colossians 2, verse 3, in him, in Christ, that is, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's prayer in Colossians 1, and again in Ephesians 1, has to do with, with wisdom, that we might uh, be wise as to what the Lord has uh, for us. And so there's, it's true that God is the source of wisdom, but in the context here, the flow of the thought is that in the midst of these trials, if we want to learn the lessons, we ask God for wisdom. Now, it doesn't say, ask God why this is happening. Seldom in Scripture does God ever explain why he does what he's doing. Uh, there's no explanation often for uh, God's work in lives. Now, perhaps an exception would be Deuteronomy chapter 8, where he explains what he had in mind for the children of Israel during their time in the wilderness. When you think of the book of Job, uh, when you get to the end of Job, and Job has this conversation with God, God asks Job 77 questions, but he never says, here's why this happened to you. Here's what I intended, or here's what I was, what I was doing, here's what I had in mind. Uh, Job is never given that answer. But in his revelation from God, uh, he has given wisdom to understand that God is eternal, God is in control, God is gracious, and God is good. And so in the trials of life, if we want to know what God is doing and his purpose for us, we can ask wisdom of him. 
what is his purpose in this trial? Why are we going through this? What is God trying to do? I think back in incidents in my life, perhaps most often in relation to other people. And as I've you know, sought the, the Lord's guidance and direction, uh, there have been uh, revelations, we might say, of, of things in my life that need to change, of, of pride, of of poor reactions, of anger, of various things. I can almost point to places in my life where the Lord spoke to me about some of these uh, these things. And so if we want to know, if we want the wisdom, we have to ask God. But he uses the analogy then of the uh, wave of the sea, and like a ship being tossed to and fro, and, uh, a double-minded man. We have to ask in faith. Well, it's true quite apart from this context, but in this context, that's the idea that we ask him in faith uh, for uh, the reason for these things in our life, that we might know or have the wisdom, not necessarily the knowledge of, but the wisdom from God to see that God is at work and he's accomplishing his purposes. And so uh, James presents uh, these thoughts within the context or in the flow of the idea of suffering or trials. Then when you come to verse 9 to verse 11, again, it seems out of context. What does this have to do with what he's been talking about? The lowly brother and then the rich and his humiliation. And it's almost proverbial-like. It reminds us of the book of Proverbs, the way this is written. I think in the context, again, the idea is that the lowly brother can glory in the fact that God is at work in his life. It's not a matter of what this world has to offer or the riches or the wealth or status of this world, but the fact that God is at work and God cares. And so that lowly brother can glory or rejoice or boast in the fact, in a good way, that God is at work in his life. And the rich man, on the other hand, can glory in the fact that God is at work to bring humility into his life. Now, the world would say that's a terrible thing, but the economy of God, again, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, that's one of the things God said, I, I allowed you to uh, suffer and to experience the wilderness because I wanted to humble you. And then he says, I think it's verse 17, he says, to do you good in the end. So humility is an important thing. And so uh, the rich can face life differently in some ways, but both death and trials can be great levelers. And so he says to the, the poor man, you can rejoice in the fact that God is interested in you. Uh, you think of Acts 5.41, the disciples rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ, for the name of Christ. And so that's the idea here. And then the, the rich man, is reminded that his life will pass as well. Death is the great leveler. Death comes uh, upon all. And so in the trials of, of life, there's that which uh, the poor can look at and say, isn't it wonderful that God cares for me and he's interested in me, he wants to develop character in me. And the rich man can say the same thing. Isn't it wonderful that God is, is, uh, is teaching me humility, is bringing me low and giving me a proper perspective on life that it's not my wealth and not my riches but rather his work that matters 
And then in verse 12, uh, our translation says temptation, but the NIV says uh, trial. Literally, probably uh, the word test would, would fit there. Blessed is the man who endures trials or tests. And when he's been approved, uh, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so the Lord's interested, not only in the, pros uh, the process, but the prospect of the outcome. This thought of approved is used of a workman who needs to be approved. And the thought is, uh, say, a bricklayer, this final exam, and he, he sets the bricks and, and sets the wall in place. And then the instructor, the examiner comes along and looks to see if everything's done properly, if the wall's going to stand, if it's straight and true. And if the man passes that test, he's then approved. So that's what God's looking to do in our life, to see us approved. And there's a crown of, of life given. Now, he's given us eternal life, but this would seem to be something beyond that. He gives out crowns for what is done for him. Now, of course, we can do nothing in ourselves or of ourselves. Without me, you can do nothing. But he's pleased to still reward us as if we've done something uh, for him. So there's uh, the first 12 verses. God at work through the trials of life. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the part that temptation plays in this. Uh, it's in the same section. The temptations are obviously different than trials. We fall into trials, we're drawn into temptation. And so the lesson is then God is at work in our life and he wants to see us approved for him. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and we just thank you for this little epistle and for how it speaks to uh, life here below, the life that we should live and the fact that you're investing in us, you're interested in us, and you want to produce Christ-likeness. You want us to, to bring us on to maturity. And so, Father, we pray that we'd respond in a proper way. Uh, we'd seek that wisdom that's from you. We'd uh, look at the trials of life as a matter of, of joy because you're at work, not because of the circumstances, but you're at work in the circumstances. And so watch over your people. We commit to you again those items that were mentioned for prayer. And just thank you that you are interested and concerned about these things that concern us. Watch over each one, we pray. Heart us with your blessing. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.